0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we we know that, that Christ was born for us. And we are excited to hear what you have to, to say to us this morning through your word as we open it. So we pray that, God, that you would speak to us in a way that would rattle our cage, God, in a way that would fix our eyes upon you and to see you in all your glory. May you stir our hearts, O oh God, to leave this place as the shepherds did, rejoicing that they had seen the Christ. May we see Jesus today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, Christmas is, is truly a glorious time and uh, it's one of the most Widely celebrated holidays around the world, I mean it transcends national and, and cultural boundaries that is for certain. You can go anywhere in the world and they they celebrate Christmas, not so true of Thanksgiving, but uh, definitely true of of christmas and and During the Christmas season, one of the things that people oftentimes look forward to, amongst other things. Is Christmas music? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, even after Thanksgiving, you know, you're sort of tempted. You're like, is it too early to start listening to Christmas music? And uh, the radio stations are definitely playing that. And I think part of that is, is that music is one of those things that is a gift that God has given humanity, that it, it it has the ability to touch every part of our lives and to move us deeply. And so it's, it's no wonder that Luke records for us as he writes his gospel in the first couple of chapters that, that he includes four songs of the very first Christmas. In, in Luke chapter 1, he, talks, he shares with us the song of Mary and of Zechariah. And then in Luke chapter 2, there's the song of the angels and that of Simeon as well. But but these songs are are very different than the simple Christmas carols that we sing today. They are songs that of truth that focus on faith and hope and adoration and surrender to God and they are songs that we need today in the world in which we live i don't I don't know about you, but you know uh, I told my wife i said i don't know whether I'm just getting older or whether it's just where the condition of the world is but Uh, It would be much easier for me to go home and be with the Lord than it was when I was younger. You just sort of look around at things and you think, I'm tired, you know, all the things that are going on. I mean, as you look at uh, all the economic uncertainty that we face today and even the challenge for for young people to try to find jobs that will provide for their family and, and themselves you know, as we face all the, the ever changing political climate in which we live and all the, the issues of political correctness and the things that are, that are, that are going on and the redefinition of sexuality and, and all these things, you know, as you think about the world in which your children or maybe your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews are, are growing up in, and, and you just have to ask, what are we trusting in this morning? As we live our lives, where are you putting your confidence for today and for the future? As you, as you live in an ever-changing world, what or who are you leaning on for security and hope to get you through each and every day? Now, I think it's easy and, and we would hope that we would say that our trust is in God. But there's nothing that will test our faith and resolve more than when we lose something or someone that is dear to us and all we are left with is God. When we lose our job, when a relationship that we had taken for, for granted becomes strained and, 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 and it seems to be falling apart, when our reputation is, is threatened and maybe people are making false accusations about us, that, that are not true, when we lose a loved one or our our health is threatened, maybe like Job, there's nothing that will test our faith than those things. That And I think that is because for most of us, we are putting our weight, we are putting our trust in these things maybe more than what we realize. Imagine... And I thought this is really nice of the Lord to give us such weather on this Sunday morning when I want to use this illustration, but imagine that you 're walking across an icy parking lot, okay, and we just happened to have one this morning, praise God, but anyway you 're walking across a, an icy parking lot, trying to make your way into the church and and, and, and you know what do you do? You, you walk very slowly, you walk very carefully, you, you actually uh, are looking for a dry spot. Uh, to put your foot so that you'll have a sure footing so that you can place your weight on that and you know that you can move forward and make it to the door and not end up on the ground out in the parking lot. But, but sometimes it's sort of difficult when you're walking across a parking lot like this if it's an overcast day like this because it's hard to see sometimes where the slick spots are and where the dry spots are as well. And and in many ways, that's sort of what our lives are like each and every day. That we're looking for people, we're looking for circumstances, we're we're looking for things that we can place our weight on and that will move our lives forward. But sometimes that can be very treacherous and it's difficult to know exactly what we can place our trust in. And we find that the things of this world are, are not certain, they are not secure and sure, underneath our feet, um, as much as we might think. And so this morning, as we look at the passage that we're looking at today, it is seeking to sort of reorient us and put, our, put us back on the right footing and the right path of placing the weight and our trust in God. And we see in Mary, and, and even in Elizabeth's life in this passage, uh, a very active faith that is characterized by by three things, and, and I appreciate Jacob Gerber, um, whom I'm borrowing these three points from, uh, that it's characterized, an active faith is characterized by rejoicing over the coming of Jesus, responding to life with humble faith, and remembering that God has overcome the kingdoms of this world. That, An active faith is characterized by the rejoicing of the coming of Jesus, by responding to life with a humble faith and remembering that God has overcome the kingdoms of this world. So let's look at these this morning. First of all, rejoicing over the coming of of Jesus. So our passage opens with Mary living up here in Nazareth, traveling the 80-some miles down south past Jerusalem to a little town that's uh, south of Jerusalem, we don't know exactly the town, to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, it's important to understand the context. At the beginning of Luke, we see that the angel Gabriel appears to an old priest by the name of Zechariah to tell him that his wife Elizabeth, who is old, who is beyond childbearing age, will conceive and give birth to a son and they should name him John. Now, you would think he would be full of great delight because it seems like there's nothing more than Elizabeth wanted to have than to have a child and to have a son would even be greater. But Zechariah didn't really believe Gabriel. Well, then Gabriel appeared to another person right after that. That same angel, he appeared to a teenage girl by the name of Mary who's engaged To tell her that she likewise will bear a son as well. But not by consummating her marriage to her fiancé, Joseph. But instead that the Holy Spirit, as some older translations would say, would overshadow her or come upon her. And the angel gave her a sign to say, what I'm telling you is true. As a matter of fact, if you want to know that it's true, you can go visit your, your cousin Elizabeth because she is six months pregnant with her son. And so we come to our passage today in verse 39, where it says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. That means she went quickly into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She wanted to see this for herself. She wanted to know that this was going to happen. And what we see in the following verses is the joy that comes whenever anyone recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. And and, and in verse 41, we see that the first to recognize Jesus for who he was, was John. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read here in this text. And she knew that this movement in her womb wasn't just the baby kicking like probably the baby had done many times before, but but there was a reason for it. Uh, Look in verse 44, it says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. In other words, by the Holy Spirit that filled Elizabeth, she knew that there was a reason why John had leaped. Now you might say, now wait a minute, how could John, who was only six months old, in the womb, how could he have recognized Jesus who was just newly conceived in Mary. I mean, she wasn't even showing. Nobody could tell that she was pregnant. Well, if you look back at verse 15, you'll see that the angel Gabriel said about John, he said, For he will be great before the Lord, and and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You see, by that inward witness of the Holy Spirit, the child John recognized the presence of Jesus, that he was the son of God. But also Elizabeth recognized that as well. When, when John jumped in her womb, she shouted, you know, and it says in verse 42, with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so, like her son, Elizabeth, being filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes Jesus, that Mary was carrying the Messiah, and she rejoices in that. Now, now think about this. Uh, Just think about how humble she had to be to do that. I mean, for six months, the big excitement, the big news in her life had been that here she is, an old woman, and she's pregnant. That's a big deal. I'm sure she told everybody about it. She was probably very excited. But now she sees that there is something greater than what's happening to her. And that is she recognizes that the child that Mary carries is, is greater than her son. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I, I say that because if you look at verse 43, the way that Elizabeth describes Jesus as is my Lord. Now, we just read right over that and say, yeah, that's true, he's Lord. But but that's a big deal. What what she's saying is, is that he is the Messiah. If you if you look at Psalm 110, verse 1, this is a, a title that David refers to uh, the Messiah. And so Elizabeth is honoring Mary as the mother of our Lord, and she calls her the most blessed woman in the world. But Elizabeth, you have to understand, was not worshiping Mary, but blessing her. And and Mary was a woman. Um, partly she was um, she was um, she was blessing her because not only was she the mother of Jesus, but because of her faith as well. Look at what she says in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, Mary heard the words of Gabriel and unlike Zechariah, she believed. And so um, she did not doubt the Lord, but, but she had faith in the Lord. But the focus is not so much Mary on Mary or her faith. But upon Jesus and John and Elizabeth rejoiced over the coming of Jesus. But brothers and sisters, we have a greater reason to believe in Jesus than even John and Elizabeth had. They rejoice because of the conception of the Messiah, but we can rejoice because of His crucifixion and His resurrection and the promise that one day He will come again. Amen. And he will make everything right, and he will take his children, his church, to glory to be with him, and he will give us a new heaven and a new earth. But there are some in our world today who are trying to really figure out who Jesus Christ is. Some who don't realize that he is the Son of God, that he is the radiance of God in all his glory, and that humanity has rebelled against God and, and and has either chosen to rebel against God or or maybe in a more quiet way, just simply follow their own desires and wishes. Either way, what they're doing is is saying, God, you are not God. I am, and I'm going to do what I want. But Jesus, the Messiah, was sent by God to pay for our sin and rebellion against God and to give us changed hearts that actually desire to obey and to please Him. And like John... And Elizabeth, the only way that people can come to know that, brothers and sisters, is if the Holy Spirit of God works in their hearts. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? If you believe that, you will pray for the loss. You will pray for the loss. Yes, you need to share the gospel. But if you are not, first of all, praying for the loss on a regular basis, we should never expect anybody to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because we can talk and we can share and we can argue till we're blue in the face. But no one is going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ until their hearts are quickened by the Holy Spirit. But even for those of us who are believers, uh, we need to ask ourselves if we really see Jesus for who he is. Uh, does your, uh, is Jesus really a big deal in your life? Or, or are you just excited to be part of Kirk of the Plains? Or, you know, maybe you just really like to talk about theology and talk about God. Or maybe you just enjoy the friendships that you have here at church. All these things are good things, but that's not what it's all about. What we do here, who we are as a community, is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And yes, the bonds that we have in Jesus Christ are important, They're so important and they're great and it's good to grow in those bonds, but only because of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, does your heart rejoice that the Messiah has come to you and that the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you? Do you glory in who Jesus Christ is this Christmas season? Is your heart full of the joy that Jesus has come and he has chosen you? Brothers and sisters, you cannot read this passage and meditate and dwell upon it without understanding that it is a passage of joy. It is is a passage that commands us to rejoice that Jesus has come. And so Mary, likewise with John and with Elizabeth, rejoices. But, But in verse 46, we also see that she responds with a humble faith as well. And and as we look at the text in verses 46 through 49, we see that really what Mary is focusing upon is Jesus' power and his strength. And so as we come to these verses, let me ask you these questions I asked you earlier once again. What are you trusting in this morning? What, What are you putting your confidence and your trust for today and for the future? Are you placing your trust in Jesus or in something in this world? Mary says in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this is an expression of a, of a humble servant. You know, uh, she's looking to her glorious Lord and she says, I want to magnify him. I want people to know who he is. To, to magnify God means to exalt him, to, to, to make him great. To magnify something can either mean to take something that's very small and expand it to make it bigger, like if we're looking through a microscope, right? We, that's what we do. Or it can mean to take something that is large and, and but far away and expand it so that we can see the details of it like we do in a telescope. And that's is what Mary's talking about, that second of how God is great. He's not small. He's great. And she wants people to see him up and close uh, for, for who he is. And so, as, as uh, the bigger that God becomes in Mary's mind, the smaller that she sees herself. As a matter of fact, in verse 48, she refers uh, to God as the one who looks on the humble estate of his servant. And that's how Mary saw herself. As, as a humble woman who doesn't see herself as worthy or one who merits being the mother of Jesus. She is a servant. And so um, she has this glorious privilege to give birth to the Savior of the world. But the personal cost to her would be high for this privilege. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Maybe you have. But, I mean, this is a, a, a woman who is pregnant out of wedlock in a culture where she would experience, at the minimum, great shame and maybe even worse than that. And and what is she going to say? Well, honest! I'm still a virgin. It was the Holy Spirit. Really? Seriously? How do you think that's going to go over as she's talking to her parents or to others in the Jewish community? Who would believe her? And, and, and at a minimum, giving birth to the Messiah would cost her the relationship with the man that she loved the most, and that is Joseph. And so there was great cost here. And, and sometimes, brothers and sisters, is it not difficult for us to see God work in our lives? Because oftentimes when he works in our lives, yes, that is a great privilege, but oftentimes there is a great cost. There is much suffering sometimes that happens. Sometimes we have to die to our own pride and our own agendas and the things that that we want. And so it's hard for us sometimes to be that humble servant. And sometimes we ask questions like, God, why are you doing this? Lord, how long are you going to do this in my life? And all those things show that our heart is really not that of a humble servant. But that's not where Mary was. She doesn't get upset, she doesn't complain against God for, quote unquote, messing up her life. You know, and I don't know about you if you've ever been in a position where someone has more power than you. Maybe you've worked waited tables in a restaurant or or worked in some other service industry if you had, you've probably had very nice customers who treated you very well, but most likely you've also had some Difficult people, that's what we'll call them. Difficult people who uh, who know that you were there to serve them and that they are the boss and they have authority and they want you to know that. And so they treat you very terribly and in some cases maybe even treat you like dirt. And, and as Mary considers the news that she has received from Gabriel and considers the privilege and the personal cost to her life though, she doesn't view God like those abusive customers who just want to make her life miserable, she sees God as as great and high and lifted up, and therefore she sees herself as lowly as we read in verse 46, "My soul magnifies the Lord, she sees God as great, but Mary can rejoice because she also sees the Lord. As her savior. Now, now look at verse 46 and 47 in your Bibles. They're actually like parallels. And in Hebrew poetry, uh, sometimes what the writer does is he writes like parallel verses, but he changes it slightly just to show you the nuances and to help explain. In verse 46, he says, "My soul," or she says, "My soul." And in verse 47, she says, my spirit. And verse 46 says, magnifies. And in verse 47 says, rejoice. And in verse 46 says, the Lord. And in verse 47 says, in God, my Savior. And so she can rejoice in the highness and the exaltation of the Lord. And yet bow to his will because he is also her Savior who loves her and who has died for her. In other words, Jesus is wielding in the power of his kingdom and the might of his power for her good. And that's what humble faith looks like. It is a servant who sees God in all of his greatness, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, and yet knows that God is one who loves his servant no matter where he takes him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the posture of a humble servant. It's the attitude towards life that says, the place that I'm going to put my foot is not on the things that advance me, but I am going to trust that the Most High God is looking out for humble me. And I don't mean that in the sense of a fake humility, but one that recognizes that I have nothing to offer to the Lord and that the Lord does not owe me anything as well. But sometimes our view of God can be somewhat skewed. Even as Christians, we can view God as one who is there for our convenience and our satisfaction. And sometimes we can think that the focus of our lives is on God only to the degree that it pleases me and serves my purposes. Now, we don't want to admit that. But we all know that we struggle with that from time to time, do we not? But there's also another way that we can view God, and that is one who is high and transcendent, which that's not bad in and of itself, but for some of us, we can we may view God only that way. That is how we see God. And so we relate to God only in the sense of duty and obedience. But this obedience is not out of love for God, but out of an obligation And out of a debt to God. And so we find ourselves sort of begrudgingly following the Lord. Yes, Lord, I I will do that because you're my Lord and my master. But brothers and sisters, we have to be careful because such a view of God can actually lead us down a path of backsliding. You know, Satan is always trying to get us to see God as as not good towards us. I mean, that's what we saw in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He, you know, Satan was like, "Really? Did God? God really say that?" He's like, "Really? Can you trust God?" And Satan wants to separate God's goodness from His high and exalted glory. And it may be that you see God as some great overlord, but you don't rejoice in Him anymore. Maybe your heart has just grown cold. Maybe it's just one of these things where you find yourself just sort of obeying the Lord out of a sense of duty rather than out of a sense of delight. And if that's where you are, let me give you a remedy. Let me encourage you once again to study the story of God's redemption. Go back and read in scripture about how God redeemed his people, but understand and remember that it's personal to you. If you look at Mary in verse 46 and 47 and how she uses the word me and my, she says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. You see, God and his salvation is not something that we are to keep at arm's length as Christians. It's not some intellectual fact out there. It, It is personal. It is applicable to my life and to your life. And, and, and as we said earlier, it is the Holy Spirit that helps us to see that. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, then I ask you to cry out to the Holy Spirit and ask him to give you the joy that John and Elizabeth had as the Savior entered the room. Let us see Jesus for who he is. And then finally, in verses 50 through 55, we need to remember that God has overcome the kingdoms of this world. You know, Mary moves from in her song from speaking of what God is doing for her to what God is doing for the world. Now, I, I will say this uh, if you look at Mary's song uh, overall, she actually is basing a lot of that on Hannah's song. Remember Hannah in the Old Testament in Samuel, how she wanted to have a child, but the Lord had not given her one. So she went to the temple and she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. And so in 1 Samuel, Uh, chapter 2, Hannah has this prayer to God. Well, if you look at Mary's prayer, it's based off of that and probably about 10 or 12 other passages in Scripture. You can tell that Mary was a woman who knew God's Word, but but she's, she's now talking about what God will be doing in the world. Look at verse 50. And his mercy, that is God's mercy, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is showing his mercy through Jesus to those who fear him from all generations. And then Mary begins to make a series of contrasts beginning in verse 51. You know, where she'll talk about one thing in the first part of the verse and then something in the second part and she contrasts those two. Like in verse 51, she said, He has shown strength with His arm. God has shown strength. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's done both of those things. God has scattered the proud with the strength of His arm. And then in verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but He has also exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring for others. And so let's come back if we could to those questions that I asked you earlier. Where are you putting your trust? Where are you placing your faith? What are you leaning on or placing your weight on to hold you up and to carry you in your day-to-day life. What what Mary is articulating here is, is that if you put your faith in the things of this world, in the power of this world, in, in the strategies of this world, in the pleasures of this world, and the riches of this world, then one day, not only will all these things be taken away from you, but you will be disowned and disherited from whatever kingdom you think you have. Because Jesus has come into this world to overcome the kingdoms and the authorities of this world. And when we keep Jesus at bay and, and turn away from him and try to establish our own strength and our own pride and our own throne. And we try to fill our lives with the things that we can establish in our own strength. And what we're doing basically is establishing an alternate kingdom that rivals the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he will not tolerate that. And so what we're doing in essence for anyone that does that and truly does not receive the Lord Jesus Christ he's saying yes you may be the undeniable king but Lord Jesus no thank you I don't want what you have. I'll, I'll do it on my own. But this passage warns us that, that Jesus who came with the first advent will also be the Jesus who will come in another day as well and on that day anyone who thinks that they have something in this world will find in fact that they are standing on slippery ground and they will lose everything and and if we're honest with ourselves we know how frail our condition is everything that we have can be taken away from us and maybe you've experienced that and so we have to ask ourselves Are these things that we might be seeking to build our life on? It's a little bit like what Jesus was saying when he tells the parable of the man who built his house on the sand. And he said, the waves came and the house went splat. Right? Even the kids know that. Probably a kid's song that that sings. I remember singing that in Sunday school as well. And Jesus says, instead we are to build our lives upon Christ who he is like that house that's built on the rock that will stand. And if we exalt ourselves in pride against Jesus, rejecting him and holding him at arm's length, his judgment will come. But we also see in verse 54 the hope of the gospel that those who place our trust in him That God is faithful to his promises. He said he has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy. As he has spoken to our fathers. To Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see the wonderful promise that he has here. God has made a covenant with his people. To pledge that he will be their God. And they will be his people. But. God sees that they have a problem. Even as his people, even those that he has set aside, they wander because they are enslaved in sin. And so they think that they just need a king that's going to rule over them and make their life okay and sort of organize everything the way it ought to be. But God sees that they have a greater problem. That they will never do that. They will never follow him until their sin is taken care of. And so he promises to send a Messiah, even as far back as Genesis 3:15, uh, uh the anointed one, a deliverer. And it says that God, in remembrance of his mercy, he sent his son to deliver. He's going to keep his promise. And we may be here today and and taking our eyes off of God who has promised us uh, that he will send us a deliverer. But we need to remember that our God is a God who never forgets. Even if we begin to question whether trusting in God's promises is the best path to take, God does not forget, but He remembers His mercy. And if God remembers, then what we are called to do in response is to remember that we cannot place our faith in anything but Him alone. If we place our faith in anything in this world, it will pass away. And so Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament. And so as we go to this Christmas season, uh, let our hearts rejoice and to remember, as Paul says, that all God's promises are what? Yes, in Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you as we close today, what are you trusting in this morning? Where are you putting your confidence for today in the future? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the Christmas season. And it is good to be able to celebrate with family and friends and others. But, Lord, there's also another dynamic that that often occurs during the holiday seasons that sometimes there can be such a, a loneliness. Sometimes the pain and the loss that we have in which we have lost maybe loved ones or, or other things, God, becomes very, very real. And God, I pray that you would show us our hearts and those things that we are trusting in. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would confront these idols of our hearts. Maybe, maybe things, God, that we didn't even know were there. Please set us free from those things. Smash those idols, Lord. Take those away. That all that is left is you. And Lord, may we know that you are the true rock. That you are the one in which we can stand firm. I I thank you, Lord, even for the trials and the difficulties and the things that we have encountered as a church to remind us, God, that we cannot do anything in and of ourselves but we continue to look to you and that your promises are true. Um, Father, we pray that you would, that we would leave this place, God, not only with you doing business with our own hearts, but Lord, we pray that we might be your mouthpieces to share Jesus with others. And we do pray for the work of your Holy Spirit, God, to to work in the, the, the hearts and the lives of our friends of our family members and others that we know that do not know you and, and I pray God that you would help us to believe that you can save them and I, I, I pray Lord that we would not give up but that we would continue to share Jesus with them expecting even God that they would come to faith in you We thank you, Lord, so much for your wonderful blessings. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen.